0: yeah it's the logo to the show how's it going
1: oh okay um yeah it's uh this is my what third uh zoom meeting today i had the kid at home and stuff so it's um
0: yeah it's uh hold on, i'm gonna put this on an easy breezy day sounds like easy breezy day yeah yeah um it was fine though. It was
1: beautiful weather and uh yeah what is that behind you it looks like you know what it looks like it's uh You know the book, Who Needs Donuts by um, Doug Stamity?
0: No. It's a classic children's book. It's just it's worth looking for. It's so good. Who who Needs Donuts? That's what's called. It's incredible. Came on the 70s, I think. Yeah, I'll check it out. No, my my friend, uh, an artist named Ghost Ghost Teeth did this for me. Cool. This is me. That's a donut. Some hot dogs with wings around there. And there's a sort of a, what is it? Um.
1: What are the names of those guys, not proud boys, the boogaloo, uh, you know, Hawaii, Hawaiian shirt back then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's definitely that was definitely not the intent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you always gotta, you gotta be worried, you gotta be careful about your signifiers these days, man. You, you can't wear a white polo shirt, uh, uh, Hawaiian shirt. Um, what else is out? Yeah, you gotta ditch the, yeah, you know, the, the, uh, white hood and the um robe. Um, well,
0: the white, the white hood and the robe, that's definitely been. Um, sort of ingrained for quite a while. The rest really, of it is—I
1: just heard about. I used to wear one until about a year ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, that yeah. So,
1: what? Didn't, this isn't anything to do with a what? KK? Who? No. Yeah. I think it just flatters the wearer. Yeah.
0: But think—think think what would happen if we just ignored sections of the internet? Like we get into a sort of tizzy about again. Like, like you said, like now Hawaiian shirts are part of a militia it's like well you can believe that if you want yeah there's still What's plenty it? of fat party boys who are just gonna wear a hawaiian shirt you know what i mean yeah like, i think with those guys it's
1: pretty important to have with the other accessories like the what is it they have well gun helps know, who can who can remember um because yeah. it is ways to f- recognize each other in like a, res- a demonstration or like a riot or something or a action like a, you actually are supposed to the uniforms serve a role of organizing and like uh, recognizing each other. Like, uh, they're like, they're, I mean, we live in an age that we're awash in like bullshit, like uh, signifiers that are sure. supposed to mean something. That's half of what drove QAnon was people deciding that this means that, and someone wearing red shoes means, you know, <laughs> they've been, uh, ba- you know, bathed, their shoes have been made out of the blood of babies that they've like uh, been, you know, literally stuff like that. So that yeah, once yeah. you see that, you look at it go aha it all makes sense
0: yeah i know so, i know that's what it, i wrote it i know that's what it says
1: <laughs> yeah yeah by the way uh what, what's the actually they, they pretty
0: much id the QAnon guy somebody works at on um, reddit right or uh i don't want to know uh, uh, yeah, i one a i'm done with it and b it was better to not know it's better to just it was better to not know don't yeah, pull the curtain. ignorance <laughs> is
1: yeah sanity enough often
0: um, I just, I just think it's funny because it's like, well, how many Boogaloo boys are there? Like 110. Like, it, it, I, I just think yeah. it's funny that these things that are are, are really meaningless. I mean, yeah, until they they, become, until, well, until one of them, them the media. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, what I'd like to know is, are there more incels than Boogaloo boys or Proud boys? Because I, I always thought I got the impression that there were very few. Who. I mean I the, pe- big, the world is big and people are strange but um mm-hmm. I'm trying to imagine like uh, being so into the identity of being uh, involuntarily celebrate <laughs> that you would <laughs> you know maybe privately and anonymously I could see getting onto a, a chat or something but um or a message board but trying but actually saying yep that's me uh yeah, there's a conspiracy against me getting late well um, I, I think, think- model, or you know porn star yeah
0: so. I think there's probably a way more. I, I just think a lot of people aren't doing well, and yeah, and um, yeah. it's it's something that um, I think that. Uh, and by the way, I, this is a great start to this podcast. I love it. We just roll right into it, and we'll, we'll get to we'll get to even why we are talking later. But okay. <laughs> I think that that it's been going on for 20 years of of. A large swath of the population sort of being ignored. Basically, when you're when you're kind of told you're not invited to the party for a long time, then mm-hmm. people will start having their own party, mm-hmm. and it it might not be a, an, a no generally going to be a, yeah, it's generally going to be <laughs> an ugly party.
1: But a hey, sausage party,
0: <laughs> yeah, like the incels. But you know, yeah. I I had a weird you know a uh, weird perspective on it when I. I was touring with a band in early or late 2015, and we toured across the country. Jars of Clay? Tar- what? Jars of Clay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was uh, okay. when they tried to do Lilith Fair one more time. and uh, Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was, you know, in the, in the kind of towns that we played, you know, it was Buffalo. It was Youngstown, Ohio. It was like Pens- it was a lot of Rust Belt stuff, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. And when you when you're touring, all you kind of see is the skeleton of the city. You don't really experience it, but you see it. If that makes sense. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, the places you're talking about, they actually are skeletons. They're like, yes.
0: Uh, yeah, and so all those cities, all we drove by because you you have to enter on the highway and you have to leave on a highway hmm. along every highway was just the same bombed out, rusted empty steel mill the steel mill which is never mm-hmm. easy to say tire factory you name mm-hmm. it you go to Akron it's that way um East Town yeah and it, it was these places that once employed half a town that are no longer there so most people don't really have jobs the job they might be fortunate to have could be something like a big box store that comes in that they have to then drive mm-hmm. 40 minutes each day and, and then they just stand for eight hours and say, welcome to wherever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and it was just, it was a perfect thing because when Trump came along, mm-hmm. even regardless of the nonsense that he said and everything else, I was like, oh, this guy's going to win because he at least is acknowledging those people. He's at least, mm-hmm. he's at least, uh, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? He, um, Angry he knows to- that he, what is it? Pandering to? No, it's not pandering to. It's, it's more like he's at least, I have to go back to acknowledge, I can't find the word I want. He at least is acknowledging their anger. Yeah. And I think that's why he won of all, of overall things. And yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, that's that's why he won. Uh, I would, yeah, I mean, the, he's, yes. And, I
0: mean, then he, the, and then the natural, I'm sorry, just real quick, the natural ending to all of that is the capital siege. You know what I mean like of 4 years of just people they they still didn't get what they want. I should point out Trump still did the same politician thing which is go to coal country. And this is where my all of my extended family lives. The Ohio West Virginia border. That's where they all live. And they hate a poli- they hate politicians because they mm-hmm. all do the same thing. Each one will go there and go we're going to bring coal back and coal never comes back. Mm -hmm. And and driving through these places, it is, it is the most depressing thing you can ever see. There are houses where nobody's lived in for decades that Mm -hmm. stand like ghosts of like, you know, they're, 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 they're half standing. Those Mm -hmm. are still there. My whole life, I'm 42 years old. My whole life, these same houses have been standing as like monuments to failure. And mm. and Trump still did the same thing. He went to West Virginia. He went to Ohio and said, "I'm going to bring back coal. Coal's going to be better than ever. It's going to be amazing." And it he didn't. Kind of play? And he did. He still didn't do it. You what? Yeah, but it played then. I
1: mean, it um... played. At
0: 100. Oh, the sad thing is, it always plays. And I mm-hmm. think I think maybe with Obama, they they had finally were like, "No, we don't. We don't trust you. We don't believe you," for whatever mm. reason. Yeah. And Trump came, and I think that that was the last. I think they were like. Oh, okay. I think he will do this. I mean, I, I I know this because my uncles and aunts all said this. They all said Trump will bring the businesses here. They will. He will bring this back. They were yeah. expecting it. They yeah, had all yeah, their hopes know, on and it, and he didn't do it. The, the it, thing
1: that's so amazing and terrifying is the same people, including my folks, will be saying like, uh, "He did do it. He succeeded. Uh, um, that was great." you know despite you know, because the conversation has been controlled so much and the media channels and news sources are so uh you know well whatever i mean i'm uh it's i, I think it's like this is so well known but it i mean that was what it was that was what my big eye opening experience over the summer was p- hearing people that i've always thought of as kind of rational and middle maybe center right or something but or not mm-hmm. but not in other ways saying stuff that i thought only like um people I like considered like a hardcore kind of crazy you know evangelical right um you know republicans would say and, and it wasn't them anymore it was and they mm-hmm. were contrary to everything i was had experienced for the past four months yeah um if visible evidence like it's i heard the same thing in um in ukraine uh, the ukraine where there was like um people who were living near enough to the uh it was russia that was putting a bunch of um news uh over the um ukrainian uh media and and it was saying things that if you actually lived in any places they were talking about you know it's 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 under siege it's like uh people are blowing mm-hmm. you know killing like um russian uh um Nationalists or people who other people who are living, you know, people for, of like Russian descent or who identified as more more Russian than Ukrainian, they're they're dragging them out of the streets. They're uh, hanging them by the all this stuff that if you live anywhere near where they're talking about, you know, as you watch this, it's funny to them, but right. oh, so many people elsewhere didn't know it. They didn't see it, and they yeah. took, you know they believed it. Um, there's a level of like cutthroat boldness in like in media uh, using agencies that. Ah, it's just really much more insane, I think, than most of us even think. Mm-hmm. Um, every now and then I keep thinking, I go back, I, I deny it or something, and then I see evidence of it, um, sometimes from people in different new organizations whose, whose topic or subject is information wars or like um, um, uh, misinformation, and like, and it's mind-blowing. I mean, and it affects you, too, as you start to look into it, because you start to think, wait, Really? Uh, if you just read a <laughs> news story about, uh, you know, something on the in the Washington Post, or you like, even the Wall Street Journal, you start, like, "Really, is that true?" Yeah, it gets. Yeah, the main thing of that kind of attacking of um, stuff that everybody knows is true is it just hammers home over and over again, and it attacks the idea of there being truth, and that's when things get really terrifying. Is when well, when that seems to have taken, you know, whenever everybody despairs, you know. Well, yeah. who knows?
0: I don't think we'll ever know. Right, right, right. Well, I think we're heading towards two realities, by the way. I think yeah. we're just going to split eventually. Like so many people love just living online. Mm-hmm. I think that's just going to be an option in about five to 10 years. Yeah, like there, there will just be people who, who are doing, who feel like they do better online. So that'll just be where they live. And I, I've been reading all about this, like this idea, obviously cryptocurrency is huge, but there's this idea of digital real estate people are trying to sell people essentially where you will live in the digital realm that's why nft that's why what'd you say does
1: it have a physical corollary is it like is it a is it a bandwidth or what is it i mean like
0: how do you yeah it's it's like a bandwidth like you're selling bandwidth and that would be your like air rights like uh yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah that's that was what people were that was the the power moves or next level thinking and in finance and then in innovation in around like very early Obama administration. It, it, he, he wasn't involved in it, but it was that's the time where it was um like 2009 or 10 or something when uh people were in Silicon Valley. That was that was where what you wanted to control was the the air, the different higher bandwidths mm-hmm. that are gonna be populated by different kinds of media organizations, things like that. That's where you want to control. Yeah kind of like controlling the movie, you know owning the movie production um this movie studio and the movie theater. Um, it was the new sort of a far thinking way of you know uh making more money Um, yeah yeah.
0: exciting stuff
1: (laughs) yeah it's awesome
0: and the people who the people who still miss trump i think they just miss the entertainment because it because it goes back to kind of what i said before of these are the people that have not been invited to the party for two decades yeah in the realm of comedy essentially they've been the joke for two decades yeah you know totally acceptable to make fun of jesus nascar you mm-hmm. know and, and like I, I don't like nascar i think it's kind of dumb but mm-hmm. but i live in a place where people pay 20 some dollars for avocado spread on toast so you know who's who's the moron like, we all like yeah. dumb things yeah. um yeah. and yeah. trump was the entertainment i mean if you're again if you live in youngstown ohio what what are you watching like what what on hbo max grabs your attention or or feels like hey inviting to be like hey come come watch this you know yeah it's true and uh, yeah i mean and that's also, not that's you know, not putting that stuff down either you know whatever hbo max is playing uh, making that's whatever that's fine but i'm just saying like it doesn't care
1: i mean they're not marketing to like uh depressed lower income you know non-coastal people um right. i mean there's, there's an argument yeah this yeah it's um it's a drag that that works mm-hmm. and uh and i mean i'm I, i'm in a bubble i'm in the bubble of the east coast um media entertainment uh you know complex mm-hmm. um i recognize that and that's why it's so great for me to go out to these you know different places for the world well, when i used to more for stories and stuff is just to like <sighs> be had just be confronted with like how how that's affecting people out there but they how that's not that doesn't reflect reality you know yeah um yeah well yeah, I, I mean i have the same experience yeah. you're talking about in like youngstown and stuff But just go with in detroit i mean if you visit there it's
0: oh yeah but we we can't same
1: past 30 years you go yeah it's a major one of the biggest tourist attractions or sites is this huge pile of slag you know mm-hmm. just metal toxic metal that's piled like a like an island or something in its own yeah. lot. And it's I think it was like ranked as the most toxic place in the United States or yeah. something.
0: <laughs> we, <laughs> we 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 played Detroit on that tour. And I stood outside of the club, which what was club in, in uh what did we play? Uh, PJ PJ's Logger house. Is it in East Town? I mean in Greek town. Yeah. Uh, yeah. no, it's, yeah, East Town, I think. Greek. I have Greek a town. I have a shirt. I did I also did stand-up and uh, they were like, here, have a shirt. You were you great, have a shirt um by the way i really think i uh did stand up in front of jeffrey epstein last night you should look at my instagram stories this guy looks it it looked exactly like him yeah they buried a a fake they buried an empty box yeah, yeah yeah and uh i mean exactly like him and was sitting i i even i i did the thing where i took a photo and then cropped it even closer he's he's sitting like a guy who faked his own death that kind of Oh, i know this can't, the can't give a shit posture anymore
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're oh you're doing that
1: kind of like a guy that figured his own death stance
0: yeah um yeah i stood outside the club in detroit for uh almost like 30 minutes not a car drove by it was like a ghost town i was like does anybody yeah. live in this city this is insane Downtown it is it's like uh yeah, yeah it's it's um it's scary i mean like
1: scary in a gothic way like in a like like not like uh someone's gonna stab me there's a little rat too but um just yeah in the sense of it's haunted yeah yeah ghost
0: town yeah well you get you you had a great segue there a second ago and then I, i made my detroit comment but let's Let's dive oh, in a little bit. There are parts of the country where people
1: that yeah. seem to be uh, not really paying attention to how things are supposed to work, according to you know media centers. And, um, <laughs> well,
0: yeah. I just want to. I want to. I want to get people to know who you are a little yeah, bit. Let's your go through background. This,
1: um, Yeah. Let's go through the uh, the. Uh, I don't. Uh, I've never. I've. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I've never um been a uh, guest on one. Mm-hmm. um So I'm going to make a bunch of uh, you know, bush league um, errors, um, but I can say. You know, I worked for, um, yeah, I've been a feature writer and then, you know, long-term reporter. I guess you'd call me long, this is before we used words like long form um, journalism, but that was what I did. And um, writing for, started out in New York, I mean, started out in magazines in New York, um, magazine in in, uh, in the city, in New York, and, um, and then went uh, to spin uh, and was there for quite a while, um, reporting on, I do a lot of music stuff, but also the stuff that I was really called to and I found the most rewarding was um, going, you know, strange oppositional subcultures in the city, in the country. Um, And you do a lot of uh, stories. You'd also see these in The Voice, too, which are sort of he was different in the heartland and so he died. You know, those kinds (laughs) of stories. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and I tried to I was lucky enough to have people there uh, who were into doing ones that kind of subverted that a little bit. Um, And, um, and sometimes showed, like, and, and it was always great. I mean, all those all those places were just awesome to, you know, be just, it's, you know, it's romantic to go into a new a place, drop parachute into it, sort of try to meld your way in. And you get a lot more leeway, too, than if you're with, with a news crew. And I was young enough to, like, you know, kind of not freak everybody out by showing up at some place. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I had heard, I'm trying to remember whose idea it was, but there was, when that story broke, that there was this, Guy in um in a uh, you know Virginia in a suburb um, of DC who was uh who had posed as um, the nephew of uh of uh, Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. and had gotten a girlfriend uh, there and drove around a BMW that said that it was uh, that whose license plate was uh, Spielberg um, <laughs> and was revealed to be uh, significantly older um mm-hmm. than his uh supposed uh, 15 years he was 27 mm-hmm. and um and not no relation of course to steven spielberg um but was a immigrant an iranian immigrant who moved with his mother um from tehran i think uh maybe six or seven years prior to his uh, enrollment on his own volition into this kind of tony catholic private school and um and his father was still back in the uh, in Iran somewhere, and he had just sort of gone about. He, I, I think, it, there are other stories I would find after this. But it was In fact, there was even one guy. It was in an Earl Morris film. Um, it was in that series that he had. You remember this? Yeah, yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. It was, and there were some amazing ones. There was like a pilot who uh, was in some famous plane crash, um, as the pilot of it. And then he kind of rehabilitated himself and flew again. And there was this great sort of recovery story. But there's another guy that was, I think had gotten really high on Jeopardy and, and he contested not winning on some kind of technicality to <laughs> an answer. his blood. And then it turns out when they got started investigating his life a little in that kind of Errol Morris way, that he, he had also enrolled for senior year at different high school after he had graduated high school under a different name because <laughs> he wanted to experience being popular and he had groomed himself and made himself at the time look like a, his model was Vinnie Barbarino and the Welcome Back, author. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, Lither, yeah, and he was never. Yeah, I guess he kind of. Now that I think about it, he kind of was a proto incel in that sense. Like he just he wanted to be popular, He wanted to be one of the cool kids, and uh, and this is his chance to do it all over again. And it, he wasn't. <laughs> he did it immediately after uh, actually being in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something similar to this, especially for someone who was raised in another country, but a country that. A uh, huge uh, part of it was uh, the, the elite, in particular, was qu- quite westernized. Um, really wanting to take advantage of all the you know wonderful things that he sort of learned about and read about and watched movies about. I think, um, and that was his way to do it was to, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think yeah, yeah. His name's uh, Jonathan Taylor Spielberg. Yeah, was yeah his uh, chosen name. He actually, I don't know if we ever nailed down. Direct completely whether he'd actually legally changed his name
0: to Jonathan Taylor Spielberg. I think he might have. Um, um, yeah, we well we ha- we definitely have a scene in there where he gets it. He I mean, was, this has been reported that it says yeah. he it did. Um,
1: yeah, I never saw a uh, change of name form. I didn't find one. Um, but uh, I mean, it's he was doing it. He was at it for a while prior to this. It wasn't yeah. like I uh, adopted the name directly. And yeah, and I wrote the story, and it was weird and infuriating and also hilarious when i was doing it and i knew moment after moment after moment uh this just the stuff that came out of his mouth that he was because he was he met me because i asked him after the jig was up right where he was uh um he was busted he was i think facing some kind of legal repercussions because it wasn't statutory rape but, you know but he had A lot is, I think they ended up getting him on fraud, right? And he got some community service or something. Never did any time, but he was being looked at for some pretty serious, uh, you know, uh, crimes, um, you know, corrupting morals of a minor or something like that Uh, for this younger woman that he was um, hanging out with a lot, if not knowing in a biblical way. And (laughs) um, and he, and that was what made the story great to me is that it was after this happened after the jig was up, after he'd been busted, that he really went on his media tour and really, like, I was interested in just hearing his story from him and uh, at the time, and I reached out to him, um, you know, and he was very much, uh, you know, he had no publicist. He was just kind of this
0: (laughs) potential, like, uh, you know, prisoner. (laughs) Wouldn't he, is this when he would, you would call and he would adopt a fake voice yeah, that was later. I mean, I didn't that do was later. that. No,
1: he, I don't know if he ever did that. It was so long ago, but I, I don't know that I ever, it was later that he would do just kind of preposterous like things on the phone. Um, uh, oh, I've got another call or something. and then uh, Or oh, can you hold on a minute? And then it was after I like accused him of something else that he clearly did do and he just mm-hmm. didn't, didn't want to talk about it, um, but he would do, yeah, he would change his, uh, he, yeah, his mom would uh, sort of uh, mysteriously forget how to speak English uh, when asked <laughs> them you know, uncomfortable questions. Um, yeah, stuff that I, I wonder if that would work today, but the, but he was really, I, I sort of, I, and partially this was my doing too. I kind of, in order to get access and to convince him to like, um, talk about this with me, I, uh, I sort of, you know, flattered him and, uh, I want to know how it worked. How did you pull it off? What was your, yeah. um, uh, what was your secret? And he saw another Avenue to be fancy and, um, uh, you know celebrated and maybe be famous so he started uh presenting as a um master of illusion <laughs> or um you know or a deception or an imposture and and i'm even said yeah I'm definitely said in the piece that like if this he really thought that he was fooling people and that um and he told me that he had a lot of interest from other major media outlets uh, i think he was going to be on uh, good morning america and other things and i some part of me, you know, some of those things he was claiming were clearly n- there's no way in hell that this is true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but there's one point, and we have to check all these things out. You know, someone's mm-hmm. always lying about everything. Mm-hmm. Some of those things might be true. And I remember there being this one terrifying moment with my the editor Dana. We were working on this where we weren't sure if, in fact, he wasn't close friends with Lady Diane or Princess Di. <laughs> um, You know, that's the the big one, too.
0: I mean, that's that's, that was a big one. Yeah, he was and
1: he was really pushing that one, and he he'd done enough research or something to make it at least not preposterous for as far as timing goes and where he was in the world and stuff. And she was a supposedly a really generous spirited person who would reach out Mm -hmm. to you know across uh different cultural divides. Uh and I remember hearing, like, yeah, Dana said, like, you know, if he actually does know Princess Die, even a little we're we're done, it's over. And because um, that would become the story in a weird way, but uh, but indeed he did not. Um, and it, and halfway through the piece, the thing that really turned to me against him, Janet Malcolm talks about this, and uh, uh, she writes about journalism. She is a great journalist and nonfiction writer about the feeling you have, um, the the sort of way that you are compromised by doing a story about someone who's cooperating with you. Okay. Um, even if it's like fiction or you know um you know based in someone else's story you're you're compromised and um you're in a sense you're lying to somebody probably them because mm-hmm. they expect you to present they feel they know exactly who they are and um and they figure that you're you see them in the exact same way they see themselves mm-hmm. and if you don't by the and inevitably when you turn in a piece and they see it they'll feel some level of you got it wrong or you're betrayed betrayed them or whatever else so I always feel kind of conflicted about that or i always did when i was getting to know someone well and i mean i, I certainly try to take them seriously no matter who they are mm-hmm. and tell their story and be accurate and truthful um and honest uh, but they're still not necessarily going to like you know holding up whatever version of a mirror i have to them and right. um but the way when this started to get easier is when he lied to me about things that affected me like whether or not this was a an exclusive story he wasn't talking to any other uh, publications yeah and i i don't remember how i found out but i had the feeling there's oh are you that guy from so it was at vanity fair somewhere else <laughs> uh and it wasn't no uh uh and uh, he i was called some other person's name because he got me and this other reporter um that i knew um uh confused briefly and as and i started retracing my steps and like oh okay this he's doing a story on this too and he's you know, yeah. lied to me. and then i called him on that and then you know i then i started stalking him around the um uh fairfax virginia um uh just to hassle him and you know uh, it was balls out the kind of uh investigative reporting at that point and it was great because i was i didn't have to be feel guilty anymore uh yeah I was a very 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 low level way kind of one of the other you know victims and that's very liberating you don't have to you don't have the. Um, the sense of like, uh, you know, feeling, feeling bad about how you know, you're, how someone's, how you're not being completely, I don't know, kind to them. Right. Right. Uh, so wrote, wrote the piece and it was fun and people liked it. And, um, yeah, and I was going to be on Howard Stern, I remember with him. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was waiting and they, he was going to do it, but then I kind of, I think Howard Stern kind of played with him a little bit and then, yeah, threw him out. Cause he was just not, enter- he was
0: not entertainingly full of shit. It, yeah. He wasn't uh, ready for the big time. The big time. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't ready to be a whack packer.
1: Yeah. No. Uh, Yeah, and he. Yeah, and couldn't hang with the big boys, and um, and that was really the last I think I thought about it or heard about it for um for years until I got an email from (laughs) Los
0: Angeles. (laughs)
1: So
0: let's let's stay let's stay in the year two thousand because Spin was, Spin ironically where you worked, now where I, part time work. Uh, which is which is hilarious to me but spin was always the magazine that I I had a subscription to it was my Mm -hmm. favorite and I think it was the last one I still uh, was paying monthly for Mm -hmm. and I remember getting that issue where your story which is entitled I was a teenage Spielberg Mm -hmm. of which I'm going to leave a link uh, on Instagram for people to read that and the screenplay Um, and I remember reading it 20, 21 years ago, roughly, mm-hmm. and being like, this is a movie.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, just, and I just, I loved it. And for 20 years, I just thought about this. I was like, this, this is a great story for as a movie. Mm-hmm. And I what personally, it
1: seems so cinematic to you. What'd you say? What elements struck you as so cinematic?
0: Well, I mean, for starters, I love movies about liars. Mm-hmm. I love, I love con artist movies. I love, um, whether it's like matchstick men or, um, I mean, like, what's another great, I mean, Catch all, all the, all the mammoth stuff, you know, where people yeah. are just, are conning Spanish each other. Prisoner. Yeah. Spanish prisoners is great. Yeah. Underrated. I think. Yeah, it's good. And, but it was also in high school and it was an older mm-hmm. person. I was just like, this is kind of crazy. And I, I thought a lot about David Lynch. I was like, there's Lynchian elements here. Yeah. Yeah. Of- or- of the way that pop culture is presented through this guy's eyes which makes everything kind of crazy and creepy yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah um we're actually my wife and i are rewatching twin peaks from the start
1: oh wow i remember that came on tv that was like the first two episodes it was the best thing i've ever seen on tv and then yeah that feeling didn't last but um yeah
0: yeah, but I, I I love that world, and I love and I love the movie, and then I loved the Showtime, the Return. So we're mm-hmm. kind of watching it again, and you still get this weird feeling from the show of like there was a scene where Kyle MacLachlan as Agent Cooper is interviewing Sherilyn Finn as mm-hmm. Donna, and I was like, Kyle MacLachlan is probably only five years older than Sherilyn Finn, you know. The way his that character, he, like um, in real life, because like oh, yeah, she's yeah. supposed to be a high schooler, but she's 23 in real life at the time of yeah. shooting. And it, this is something I've talked about on my other movie podcast of like, I miss the days when older actors played younger people. Like mm. if you like Dustin Hoffman, I think was 49 in The Graduate in real life. Yeah, yeah I think he yeah. was like a year younger, older or younger than Anne Bancroft. Yeah. And yeah. there and there's like, you don't get that weird like I mean you have to do the 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 heavy lifting on your imagination to be like this is a teenager. Cuz now we just yeah. cast teenagers. Yeah. And to me there was there was something interesting about putting an actual 20 mid 20s person amongst high schoolers and being like act it you, you got to be a teenager and you got to sell it yeah. to the audience and even if the audience knows that this person's lying just going with it like there's that That to me as as a director or as a, even a movie lover i was like that's an interesting trick to pull off yeah, yeah. i think if you can do if, if we could do that i think we would hit on something
1: well people are nowadays are just su- suspending disbelief left and right you know the facts don't add up i know this is the but i choose to believe this instead you know exactly and yeah and i think that's what uh what we discovered in re- writing it as a story He changed sort of the main character, the protagonist, to not be him, yeah, Um, but be one of the people. um, I don't know if you're. It's spoiler
0: alert or what? To uh, no, let's let's spoil away. You know, I'm part of the point of 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 doing this of chatting about this is it's it's a little presumptuous, I think, to to talk about a screenplay that hasn't been made. That you don't see that a lot. Wait, yeah, I mean. Yeah. It's a,
1: it's next level though. Cause we're all, everybody's, there's a huge market for people to, you know, inside the
0: making of, um, yeah. and, but those are all, those were all made. Uh, but yeah, what right. What if this <laughs> is sort of that, what if it's also sort of like, can I, what, what else can I do to manifest something to happen? And so now, well, I'm, looking, yeah, and I'm, now like, I'm looking yeah. And now I'm looking at it? like, let's just talk about it. I think it's yeah. a good script. Matt Baronson, who's the producer attached to it now loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, like, let's let's see if this is the next thing that will get people to be like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Well,
1: like- I should add that I, it's not like I was doing uh, nothing but long form journalism then started to do this. Uh, I've, I've written mm-hmm. a couple of screenplays prior to this and uh, yeah. done a bunch of decks for, and pitches for like TV shows. So, and, and I've like been working on it and learning the, the craft of that for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And it was. Fun. I was thinking about why this one is. You really learn pretty quickly if you're trying to adapt even even a story you know uh, into a short story or something. If you're making, if it's fiction, um, you are. You can't put some of the most insane things that actually happened in the story into it frequently because they don't feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with you know a lot of the stories that I did. Uh, you know, someone says something or something happens, you're like, this is gold. This is awesome because I can mm-hmm. just report it as well as I can, as well <laughs> as I can, and uh, quote people accurately. And it'll, you know, it'd be banging, like everybody would be psyched about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was definitely the case with um this guy, because it was just, every other thing that came out of his mouth was like, what? all right, <laughs> and, including the fact that I wasn't sure I mean, I've talked to people who I knew were lying to me and I think they maybe knew they were lying to me and, um, or that, I mean, I, many years ago, prior to that piece, I did, I wrote, I was writing about dietary extremists and I talked for like an hour and a half to a woman who lived in Australia, who, you know, there's different subsets of, uh, food movements like, um, you know, sproutarians, raw food is sproutarians. They only eat mm-hmm. sprouts, um, and juice or whatever. And she was a breatharian. What do you think? Uh, they eat nothing. Wow. Yeah, she was claiming to live. She lives in a mountainous area and, uh, just survive on light. Mostly, uh, <laughs> hasn't had a regular meal in like, uh, 10 years or something. This is a full grown mm-hmm. woman in her forties or something. And I, you're she has a couple of books out as a new agey kind of, a, you know, meditator. And it, that was, that's one of several times I've been in the case where you're talking to somebody for a long time having a normal conversation for him with them, and you realize that, okay, either. She's lying to me just, you know, nonstop, or she's insane, um, <laughs> or she actually can photosynthesize. You know, she doesn't need yeah. food. Right. All three of those possibilities suck. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, <clears throat> uh, and yeah, the, the idea that she's like, and I think I kind of wound up after talking to some doctors and stuff somewhere, somewhere closer to the middle one. You know, I think she does. She's yeah, goes into a few state. I don't know. It was um strange, and with this guy, like there were a few times where I perceived like, okay, he's just the fact that he thinks I'm buying this, yeah, uh, indicates like some mental issues, you know, some cognitive right. deficits, um, because he really did. Uh, it was just like the kind of thing that, and I think this happens when someone is so. I feel like you see this in the Congress right now, um, you know, the Republican debates. I was Lynn Cheney, Liz Cheney, excuse me, where. If you watch the news things, um, like clips of uh the, you don't have the the deliberation that was behind closed doors, but you have a lot of Congress Republican Congress people now that are smiling and um you know, uh, doing these kind of shitty uh, mean grins about whoever like you know, grill, grilling Fauci or something. Mm-hmm. And they really do seem to think they could say whatever they want, it's gonna go over. People will yeah. buy it. Mm-hmm. And um and i i don't blame them for thinking that but um there's a but it keeps getting more and more extreme mm-hmm. and and there's a and the, even though was a doc uh, shrinker told me about like this thing called pseudologia fantastica where you you the one part of your brain that's sort of the creative part that um uh invents stories and things like that is outstripping the part of your brain that's more i think that people with autism or on the autism spectrum sort of suffer from a deficit in which is reading the room for lack of you know for in layman's terms Mm-hmm. Knowing whether you know whether you're connecting with people—is this actually going on, or is yeah. this is this playing? And the part of your one part of your brain saying, ah, "And then I went to the candy planet and I was declared president <laughs> and you know and all this other stuff," and and the other part of your brain that's going very quietly, hey, "People aren't buying this." Yeah. Like, you know, that's that's silent, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm sure it corresponds to some kind of personality disorders or something, but the thing is. You can't just sort of, as if you're writing nonfiction, it's and it's and people have read it as such. Uh, it's all that stuff that you could use, and it's just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it could get if there's no contrast to it, it'll get boring and be assaulted. But that was one of the things that, um, was so hard and infuriating to uh watch, um, in the early aughts, I think, when um. A couple of celebrated um, uh, nonfiction mem- memoirists, I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, James Frey was one of them. And yeah, uh, others were. I remember. I remember. I looked at the book at first, just uh, when it came out, and I was like, "Oh, this, this is I don't know. I don't really like the writing that much." Um, yeah, it's dumb. Uh, but I'm sorry, he went through that.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I think he got a, wrong, a raw deal, didn't he? In a way, I mean, I always thought that he presented it as nonfiction and the the publishing house was the one who was like no let's make it fiction
1: yeah that could be I mean yeah. um
0: yeah and he, no, no, he just nonfiction, wasn't in a non make it non and he wasn't in a position to, to be like to argue to I think argue. That's, that's
1: some version of that is truth is probably quite quite true yeah um and uh but uh I don't think he <laughs> you know if he weren't talking about addiction, it'd
0: be a different issue. Um, right. And you know, if he wasn't on Oprah, I think it was the the Oprah thing. Yeah. Oprah just, killed him. I mean, that's yeah.
1: usually what, that's what everybody who's kind of has some level of fraud going on. They're fine. As long as they don't get too much um, recognition. It's like yeah. the Millie Vanilli syndrome, right? Right. These are two guys that kind of just went in, you know, they just kind of want to be in show business and went and like uh, cut a record and, and sang and, and did dances and things like that and just shot the videos. And yeah, they need a little help, you know, with, um, uh, with the vocalists who actually took up, you know, 90% of the track instead of 20. Uh, and they probably would have been fine with that until they started. Yeah. You know still they won a
0: Grammy, you know? Yeah. yeah once you win the Grammy, then, it was over.
1: Yeah. And then their lives became a you know, living hell. Yeah. Um, I mean, truly one guy ended up killing himself, I think.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a bummer story of just yeah, like, yeah. And, and how and, quick um, of a country we just turn on of like, of like enjoying it and then being like, oh wait, you were lying, but how would, you know? No, I guess people didn't know. I guess people did think that Millie Vanilli was really singing it and. I think they took it, what we were just
1: conditioned to assume that they're singers and, and they can sing, they just uh, didn't sing. Well, the
0: one before. guy was like Jamaican, He had like a thick Jamaican accent. And then you hear the they were song. German. I thought I oh, think they were the German, one... something. Yeah, they were something. It yeah, yeah. was like, how um... was, how was this accent uh, making this motown voice well we already been we've been through at that point
1: we'd been through the risk rick astley years right and that was confounding and that actually was his voice Mm -hmm. um and you just had this kind of a cartoon character who was sounding like (laughs) uh like two barry whites or something and um yeah so all Millie Vanilli,
0: all they had to do was hang on and it would have come back it would instead of rick rolled maybe it would have been vanillied or something you just gotta hang on maybe
1: uh well, they're, they're, yeah, they were, they're just write it out. Yeah. I mean, that'd be the <laughs> advice you do now is like, just, just don't quit. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you quit, that's an admission you were wrong. So you just don't do it. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't happen now. Um, I mean, the one thing I used to think about America and its re- relationship to, um, celebrities, uh, is that, that you can do anything. They'll forgive anything mm-hmm. except, uh, lying to them. Right. Yeah. Um, except of you know, not being who you are um uh, and not apologizing um my you know that my conviction about that changed um about yeah three years ago
0: yeah
1: um yeah uh so anyway what i was i was thinking about what what it's like to write a you know a non-fiction or a fiction uh story that you want people to read that does all, does all the things has all the beats um of a uh, nonfiction, of like a of, of something that you would consume as a story about mm-hmm. somebody and there's so much that has to go on in that it's like um and it comes about organically i think if you really commit to the truth of a character or a couple of characters or what they go through how they relate to each other but um the experience of this is what made me think of this is like what writing these pieces with real people and going out and experiencing their them being their crazy selves and maybe drawing you into some kind of like compromising situation when I was the what I really connected to most recently was what's his name Andre Charles, uh, the guy's doing bad trip.
0: Oh, Eric Andre.
1: Eric sorry. Yeah. Andre Charles yeah Eric
0: Andre. Um,
1: yeah, the he was talking about and I think I think it was about how. He's he's most happy when he's back at the uh, editing suite or something and just cutting stuff together and seeing if they got it or if they didn't get it. But the uh, experience of going out into the field and um, playing a, tr- a prank on somebody that you don't know how they're going to react. Mm-hmm. And and at the, the very least, they're probably going to be kind of upset. You or mad, um, even if uh, until the end when you say, oh, it's all a joke or something. But yeah, that was nauseating. It was everything that it would be. He was describing every feeling I would have. If I had to go out and do something like that and the only thing that kept him going was knowing that he's going to need this to happen in the field and for him to be able to do what he does and to have right. something good and that's that's the feeling of going out and you know talking to a lot of people like this like i'd rather not do it really i mean there's parts of it that are fun yeah um but you know oftentimes it's like kind of holding onto a fire hose or something and trying to <laughs> you know, just get through it and then and you know when you got it you know when you've got okay this this is this is gonna be good. Uh, yeah, I've got yeah. something that I can take back and make something awesome out of. Um, that's a unique feeling. And I don't think, I think only like reporters or nonfiction, long form writers would know and people who make a long uh, narrative series of staged, uh, pub, uh, practical jokes. Uh, films <laughs> like, that's a sweet generous movie. I've never seen anything like it before. I think there might be some. Maybe bad grandpa's kind of like that.
0: Well, I, I, I haven't seen it, but I, 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 it's more because I sold a pilot uh, four years ago that was almost exactly that. Did you? Yeah, the the, the Pop Network. Uh, oh. It, it was, we, we went on the street and made with, with improvisers, two improvisers, and uh-huh. uh, picked people off the street, told them we were making a movie. And, the, and each episode would have been a different genre, but the pilot was a spy movie. And we that's just good, had...
1: That's a good uh, pitch.
0: Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I could give you a, I could turn this real depressing uh, why things haven't worked out quite for me. And that no, was I one know. of them. And um, I was like, I was a like, like, feeling this,
1: that that will sour you to anything like it, especially exactly. if it's a really big success. And especially if you have like kind of, you're not so impressed with the people doing it. I mean, I don't know that, I didn't know the people doing this one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I came into it with no, I wasn't predisposed to like it actually. It just kind of looked like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I, you know, that's one thing that I have with like, uh sasha baron cohen's uh films is uh mm-hmm. they just seem it's uh, i don't know like I, a lot of the times he's he's he feels like he's um i think he thinks that he's really punching up or something and exposing yeah the second one the second one was too mean yeah, well, a lot of it is i mean it's like yeah. i feel bad for these people like when he if he's bruno and he's like sort of you know baiting them to be homophobic or something or yeah like,
0: i no I, I hated the second borat I, uh, yeah, I've, I've so talked Borat about this with like other people other ones
1: too. Like uh, Bruno was another one that was really kind of,
0: yeah, cruel um, the, to this, people who were
1: unsuspecting and actually seemed pretty, pretty nice. The, the
0: scene in Borat too, where he goes to the, you know, the Christian uh, doctor uh-huh. and they do the whole thing about like the, my, my daughter, she has a baby and all that stuff that guy, that doctor, whether you agree with his politics or his stance on abortion or whatever, mm-hmm was nothing but super nice and Mm -hmm. and genuinely concerned for that girl and Mm -hmm. so I was just like what's the punchline here is belief system again this goes back to what we talked about earlier which is like this is the comedy of the last two decades has been rich people making fun of poor people in a lot of ways and that yeah
1: yeah (laughs) yeah redneck humor or whatever some version of it yeah I think of I I just you made you reminded me of like uh, I heard a a uh, bit that um, a short, I think, that Robert Smigel apparently tried to sell at uh, at um, Saturday Night Live when he was, got, was starting there, and um, <laughs> and it, it got uh, ixnayed by Lauren Michaels, I suppose. But uh,
0: but it was so good. It
1: was it was um, doing a candid camera, uh, but the uh, marks were going to be animals, um, like uh, and so there's like the right re- and he even like remembered, I guess, some of the the uh, the narrator going like a. Uh, we you know this turtle thinks he's going to be meeting jack nicholson but it's actually or no burt reynolds but it's actually a burt reynolds imposter let's see what happens when he figures out the difference and it just shows us like it was some guy coming in doing burt reynolds and you know sort of like you know it was kind of a tv (laughs) fun house like uh you know lack of reactions from animals or just yeah no one can do like a deadpan no reaction like a dog right Um, right you know and and that, that sounds i just can't believe that didn't get um didn't get on the air yeah it
0: sounds sounds genius so i want to talk about so 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 uh, to go back to why i thought this makes a great movie was Mm -hmm. the the idea of somebody forging documents a 27 year old pretending to be 14 or 15 Mm -hmm. and pulling it off is i think a movie enough but then like all good onions jonathan (laughs) has a lot of layers and which i thought you you capture great which is and way ahead of, I think the curve in a lot of ways. Of you know, he is not only is he obsessed with pop culture, Madonna, Cher. I mean, I think at some point you, we we also worked it in of like his tastes are like a fifty-year-old woman you know, at the time or yeah. something. Yeah, like they, they seem to be based almost exclusively on curating. Yeah,
1: know? Um, yeah, uh, they're famous. They're famous. They're famous. Do you like yeah. them too? Yeah, you didn't really sense an organic connection to any of these people.
0: Yeah, it, it all it had to be top shelf celebs, all of them. Leo yeah. at the time, the Titanic era. Yeah, <clears throat> but his story begins. That's not where the story begins. It is also in Los Angeles and it is him living there with his mother in Hollywood um, and, and falling in with, you know, at the time, Dr. which Suzanne is like, Block. yeah, Dr. Suzanne Block, which is like at the time she was a sex therapist for public access yeah yeah if anybody's ever
1: lived in um a city that has like uh I, I know manhattan does it has a one it's um you know, very low budget shot on video uh it every even if it's about like uh local politics it looks sleazy and mm-hmm. um and i think she was supposed to be some kind of sex positive uh therapist or something but would appear mm-hmm. in negligee i think and uh, have a snake on the camera mm-hmm. and um and 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 yeah, and somehow he I think that was what the detectives were coming through, like his history when they were trying to find out who he really was and what he might have done Mm -hmm. um, to the, you know, um, innocent, impressionable minds of us, um, you know, Fairfax and uh, Virginia. And and that one of the things they came across uh, was videotape, I think, of him on the Susan Block show in some version of drag kind of looking Mm -hmm. like a cabaret or something. fishnet stockings and uh yeah it wasn't yeah he he sort of presents himself i think that was one of the one of the reporters in the washington post said as this sort of uh, innocent young man making his way in the world and um <laughs> and then this stuff starts coming out and you think okay he's a uh, voldemort or something you know yeah he's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah he's a you know a, a perv with a capital p and um and it wasn't that wasn't the case i think he just really wanted attention and really wanted to be like a Lose himself in somebody else, and um, mm-hmm. that was sort of entry level for LA. He was going, I think he was, you know, what, was looking for a, um, a career in showbiz and going to like a, uh, um, you know, uh, acting course. Like, uh, in fact, no, I think this might be your, your edition. Maybe yeah, I, I, I get them kind of confused now. But he, <laughs> you know, going to try out, go to act auditions and going to a, like a famous bookstore of like scripts and other
0: and acting. Oh, the Larry uh, Larry Edmonds store. Yeah, 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 he's yeah.
1: Trying to bust into the into pictures. <laughs> and uh and winds up instead on um in some <laughs> like yeah uh the entry level um I guess you could say you're in showbiz if you're on you're uh on a cable um you know sex therapy show uh <laughs> in drag with some kind of um I don't know eyeliner on or something and um because the host who's a, seems like a nice person uh felt sorry for you yeah yeah um yeah so that was his own right? That was the first act in his life. Yeah, um, and including so, and
0: it cultivated in in a, um, making a soft core sort of videotape, right? Called well, the that Storm. was that was with under her auspices. Yeah, there was a, um, yeah. They made it. They
1: yeah. He and it, you know now that I think about it, I think it was probably Madonna's sex must have come out um, before that because he was mm-hmm. playing with like the idea of a pseudonym or an alter ego. Uh, in his case, it was V. Uh, that was the character and, um, and it was something that would be on Saturday Night Live as a parody of an art film or something, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Bog, I, I mean, I think I yeah, I did see a little of this. I mean, there were, it was the secondary sources, but yeah. And just, um, yeah, a camera flail, but, uh, yeah, it was supposed to be, um, writhing around to be like a homemade video for like, a you know, third, third tier you know miami based group out of uh ecuador or something you know um <laughs> just like uh, yeah and he would have if he had been lip-syncing it might have um might have worked even um but that was that was it um and i don't know that he was really expressing anything it's very hard to tell i mean his sexuality was completely uninteresting to me because it was i mm. think closed off to him as well right um that, he, and, that's, and
0: that's something we've talked about with uh producers or you know whatever of like um and that's what I find interesting about Jonathan is it's not about sex. No, it's not, it's not about sex at all. It's about, he he literally is trying to figure out who he is, Mm
1: -hmm. taking
0: this fake name, going Mm -hmm. through, I mean, uh, again, to to this Los Angeles stuff, I was like, Oh, not, not only are we getting a con artist movie, but we're getting a weird version of Pygmalion or, or whatever that Dr. Susan Block is, yeah. He's it a, is.
1: yeah, yeah. A little of that. Um, yeah. Trying to figure out. In fact, I think she said something like I was, he was, I was trying to find, he was trying to find out who he was.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, she was, She's a very like a uh, sympathetic person in the story. I mean, I think in real life mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think that's a rare thing in LA. It's a rare thing in a lot of places where someone just kind of cares for you. Um, and wants to help you. They're a stranger. And, uh, in a, in an industry town like that, it's, I mean, he really lucked out in some ways coming to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he used to, he came into it because he used to call them all the time. So he'd sit around uh, late at night, I figure watching, uh, you know, public access TV, which itself is a pretty interesting thing I never thought to explore, but more what his viewing was like, that he would wind up spending long periods of time on public access in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, his presentation, when you talk to him, he was, there was something slightly And then when you, the more you spend time with them quite off, um, and non, uh, normative, you know, um, cisgender, uh, semi-Caucasian, but he could kind of look all the look, you know, white American born, perhaps, um, cisgender male or cis male, um, he could look that way briefly. Um, and, uh, and his, his accent was very slight and it was the kind of accent where someone has been speaking probably american english for most of their lives um but will just emphasize the wrong word in a sentence it was just like a rhythmic uh, and an emphatic uh, issue with his other speaking and um and it i mean that was what was i think at least secondary um importance to me in the film or i mean in the in the story was um people's utter willingness to believe anything when they think some mm-hmm. kind of celebrity is attached to it, yeah. Um, and that, that was one of the things that got me and it really played well in the piece was ta- looking at some of the forums that he, you know, that got him on uh, train to this school, and they're, yeah, it, it, they were just so, you know, where did you go to, hi- uh, you know, pr- uh, school prior to here,
0: you know, Hollywood
1: uh, Academy of uh, Fancy Lad, uh, actor- yeah, private
0: uh, private school dad. for actors,
1: yeah, 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 and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and just, uh, you know, it was pretty much signed like uh, Jonathan's mother, you know?
0: Um,
1: yeah, it was just like, it was pathetic. I mean, the idea that anybody wouldn't see that immediately, like a child wouldn't see this as fake, that he's right. kind of, uh, and it's kind of written by a child, uh, but they didn't, you know? Um, yeah. They just, you know, people really bought it. Not everybody, the kids were onto it. I mean, they thought, this, this isn't a way, is he really like a, you know, Steven I don't think so. I mean, they're f- across the other side of the country, they're in Virginia that, you know, mm-hmm. Uh the world was uh, bigger then. Um, people didn't feel like they participated in celebrities' lives that much, they didn't feel so mm-hmm. close to them. And he was so absurd in so many different ways that I think, and he was, um, and also you know, he, was, he was a budding, he presented himself as a budding movie star who was actually pretty successful and maybe even one of his yeah. uncle's movies coming out. And that attracted the attention and uh, uh, resentment of a kid I talked to that was actually in the drama program at that school and was being cast for leads and just couldn't and said that he couldn't act his way out of a paper bag he just couldn't even he couldn't remember line. he couldn't be in the room with you and convince you that he was actually <laughs> himself um and i thought that was kind of crucial to his character too that he how hard it is to act if you are always kind of performing as a human being badly you know right, right. Um, yeah, you have to at least know how to present as a human being i think to be able to uh, play another human being
0: Yeah, And I don't think he really had that down. And then, so in the script, basically what we have is that LA was, you know, once Susan Black sort of helped him develop this character, now with this name, Jonathan, and and all that, now it was showtime. Now it was like, let's see if we can pull this off. He realized that what he'd had was training. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He was in the academy. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah. I don't know that he looked at enrolling in school as like a role. Um, and I think, I'm sure he didn't have any kind of long game in it. It was more, he wanted to people to look at him and think he was important, I think. Mm. Um, and it was all, you you could tell if you put the pieces together that it was about, it was a reality, uh, and a value system that he had constructed from glossy magazines. Um, all the people that he was really interested in thought that were most important people ever would be regulars on the cover of us or people, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. or other stuff that you'd see in not in the supermarket, but in CVS or something, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Elton John, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Barbara Streisand, maybe just like, <laughs> no one person likes all these same people, you know, uh, <laughs> right, but he right. did, uh, or claimed to. And, um, and also like Todd, what's that guy, the designer's name? Um, Todd, I always want to say Todd Oldham. Is it Todd Oldham? Or am I thinking of the, uh, I, th- I think I'm thinking of Will Oldham, but, um, yeah.
0: He, uh, yeah. He's, he felt, he knew designers names too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, so to cut back to us, because mm-hmm. what I love also is this is how the script is cuts back and forth. Uh, yeah. That was a great idea too. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I hope so. I also love movies like that. I love movies that are non-linear. I, I, I thought a lot about traffic because I, I think it's mm-hmm. one of the better, that cuts back and forth, but, um, mm-hmm. cause we were dealing to me, you had to have all the Los Angeles stuff Mm -hmm. to make any sense of the high school stuff. And so we just had to cut back and forth uh, between locations and, and, and time periods and stuff. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I cold, cold emailed you after 20 Mm -hmm. years of thinking about this, I finally was like, well, I should just track down the writer. (laughs) (laughs) um, I had not spent 20
1: years thinking about it.
0: Yeah. So what, what, so what, what happened when, uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about this personally, but I just sent you an email and it's like, what was your initial thought of like, what is who is this and what story? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember the story.
1: Um, and I was also already like entertaining, uh, you know, screenplay ideas. So it was was a great, it was a good time for me. Mm -hmm. I'd finished one thing. Um, like a a exhaustive, like long, you know, a a serious period drama, um, Mm -hmm. like an HBO style six six episode um, show based on the time that I knew well, and very, very realistic, Um, uh, you know, taken from, you know, headlines and stories and with a lot of tension and um, historical backdrop, it also felt very relevant to the beginning. It was like 2016, I think, or 17 when we were doing it. and that was kind of stalled and and uh, I was working on some other stuff like but in that field and so it seemed like this is great i mean and i want to you know work you know explore like working with other writers too you know mm-hmm. and um and i felt good about the piece and I, I don't know how long we talked about it before i realized that there was a there was something there you know that actually i could see this being like a feature film
0: uh, for those for those reasons that mm-hmm um it, we we talked it, for quite a while because i was outside i was in austin at the moment when you when you called and okay. i, I had just had barbecue at some place and i was with a friend who lives down there cool and uh and he sat in the car while you and i chatted through this for like i think like an hour and a half i mean he just yeah easily god bless yeah. him he I just remember, sat there <laughs> like, I, remember I remember you were saying
1: totally you could see it being like uh barry linden and that that was like uh surprised by that and also really interested
0: yeah Um, Barry Lyndon's low-key hilarious I mean that movie is really funny if you're like paying attention to it
1: yeah 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 it's a it's a I mean spectacular for so many different reasons uh I mean I'm maybe it's also should be made clear uh that I'm really I mean I write about film too um, you know and uh I'm a pretty serious um well I don't know No, I don't I think anyone that self-describes as a cineast is asking for it but
0: uh you, you, you know your stuff i mean that's what this po- everyone i talk to on this podcast is a cinephile or whatever you want okay. to call it yeah or just loves movies and so yeah, yeah yeah i do and um and i mean
1: yeah I've, I've written about a lot of them uh for yeah film comment
0: mm-hmm.
1: um which is like a film nerd magazine and by the nerd i don't mean like um it's a great great
0: magazine yeah like, it's
1: like a seer they're film scholars and stuff that write about it and they have great you know subjects and you know they'll put um you know the on the cover of it. It's a, uh, mm-hmm. it's a uh, very European as well in its sensibility. But, um, so yeah, the, the hearing about it, Barry Lyndon was right up my alley, as opposed to um, The Shining or something, which, <laughs> you <laughs> know, like a, a Kubrick film that isn't, uh, you know, at the core of American culture of the past um, 30 years.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and is hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think what you were responding to is the uh, picaresque quality of its main uh, character who's kind yes. of important and uh and half in on the joke and half not and um and just uh ambles through life like you know yeah people up and himself
0: <laughs> and there's a I th- yeah I think we had talked about it there's a lot of being there which is a, a great movie from 79 yeah, yeah. which is Peter Sellers uh his character Chauncey Ch- Gardner Chancy Gardner, or just really yeah. it was Chauncey the Gardner
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and he's a little slow. I I think we're still allowed to say that. And it's about him mentally delayed.
1: Yeah. yeah, Mentally
0: delayed. And he, he is, he's booted from his lifelong residence uh, where he has been tending to the garden of a rich person. Right. And now goes out into the world has no idea how to function within it, but, but ends up in, Within to the tune of 2001 a space
1: odyssey's uh, a re like a funked up version of thus big Zarathustra. <laughs>
0: you remember <laughs> yeah, that? That's his yeah. like that's
1: the big him montage of him walking around at sea, you know, yeah, the, yeah.
0: Um, in the city. And he that's ends up movie. yeah, totally. And he ends up with the higher echelon of society who are are unaware that he's mentally delayed. And they, no, think, they that, think he's a prophet, yeah. They um, think he's a hearing prophet. everything
1: he says that's really simple and uh but just enough off to be gnomic and uh yeah. you know like a, like a koan or a, uh yeah some kind of profound statement they also did that in um what was that movie i mean it's been it's been explored a couple of times and it really when it works there's nothing like it when uh it Sean penn and uh, robert uh, uh robert de niro play convict it was like a 30s like caper oh, movie oh
0: yeah I we're think. no angels
1: we're no angels, right? Yeah. It might have been been be a remake. I don't it know. Was. but was. Yeah. Well, they go. Uh,
0: Humphrey Bogart just, like, was in a the bunch original. Of, like,
1: you know, doofuses. They have to hide out as priests, and um, mm-hmm. and at some point, the like dimmer of the two, Sean Penn's character, has to <laughs> give a sermon. Uh, and he just says a bunch of like just grasping at straws, and everybody because they assume he's a priest, and it's like uh, he really knows who he's talking about. It plays, and it sounds like really yeah. like out of the mouths of babes,
0: or or uh, you know, sage,
1: simple sage wisdom.
0: Yeah. Um, and sort of how that plays with Jonathan I I always thought what what interests me was that the like like you said the the kids that went to the school were like who is this ham like what you know like well, I'm not buying this nonsense. Yeah, yeah. But the adults did and it, and it's in a Catholic school which you and I both know that that life pretty well. I do. Yeah, yeah. And the the other main character in our story is a priest mm. who runs the school. Based, who was on sort a real of, character. based on a real, real character, yeah. real happened in real life, who becomes completely just enamored with Jonathan, who sort of seems to, who, by all accounts, like, because one fun thing that I think we both did was we found that Fairfax high underground website. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Where all the, all the ex students could could bitch about the prestigious school they went to and, yeah we yeah. happen to we happen to find a thread about jonathan and uh the they woman. all taught they all talked about how i won't say his real name but in, in our in our thing it's father lawrence yeah how father lawrence yeah. was an, a complete asshole to everybody except jonathan and when jonathan yeah. showed up he gave him the first thing he did and it's in our movie gave him his parking spot his Park own parking spot yeah his own him, parking yeah, spot hey parking spot yeah yeah. And and th- that that's so fascinating to me of of somebody who just chucks their convictions and just becomes a kind of a star fucker in a way. Yeah. Well, I think he was not alone. I mean, there were yeah. other
1: adults like that too. Mm-hmm. They were I mean, I think the what they loved was the idea of um uh Jonathan's uh or of uh Steven Spielberg's nephew um being in their school. They're you know, they've they have mm-hmm. fun, they have to fundraise, they have to they're always uh think jacking for more prestige or like um I mean, and if you and they need donations from uh, alumni as well, and you know if you I think Spielberg was, I don't know, one of the richest people um in the United States, uh, I mean, top, I don't know what fifty or something um back then. and uh, well, maybe not, but um, you know, very, very in addition to being a director that everybody loved who I made mean, just American classics, he was extremely successful, yeah, um and wealthy. And that's uh, I. You can only guess what um, somebody like in that position would be thinking because once they have that in their heads, that little switch is pulled. Um, So much, so many glaring pieces of evidence that uh, you know just don't add up will just Mm -hmm. disappear, be invisible to them.
0: Sure, including looking face to face with a supposed fourteen-year-old who could probably grow a mean beard yes yeah
1: (laughs) you know with an accent somebody with a
0: slight accent who's
1: apparently very very slight accent despite growing up in. i don't know if i I were him i would have played it like i grew up partially in swiss private schools Mm -hmm. i don't know i doubt he did though i think he uh he hangs out with stephen a lot of time on the sets you know Mm -hmm. i'm uh, i'm being groomed to be the next uh i don't know leonardo dicaprio or something uh yeah it was Yeah, it's this kind of weird parody of Hollywood or of uh, fame or you know, of uh, the celebrities who are just like us. You know, his own his own one, and that was another the movie that I realized it reminded me of quite a bit. Um, Once we were quite into the screenplay, was um, the James Franco uh, movie about the uh, the guy that I can't remember his name. um, Uh, Broken Uh glass. Broken glass. No, no, um, no. uh, I mean, that's certainly. if I made up Jonathan Taylor Spielberg, it would remind me of um Broken Glass. But uh mm. uh no, the uh the disaster artist. Uh the oh, guy yeah, yeah, direct, yeah. road directed the room. Yeah. Um Tommy Tommy Wise. Wise, yes, yes. Because yeah. that guy w- had a lot of traits similar to this character, mm-hmm. uh, where he was um completely convinced that everything he was doing or try- really, you know, hell bent on convincing everybody they came and got to contact with that he was uh, the next Brando. And um and you know, and, his, and he had nothing to show for it. I mean, I'm i basing this all, all on the on the disaster as the film. I don't really know as much about the real character, but the, he also had this confounding kind of Eastern European or Central European accent um, that he just you no. Know, I'm from I'm an all American boy. I'm all I'm, I'm American. I'm from. Uh, I grew up in uh, the United States, <laughs> um, and. Uh, just uh, one then everything single thing that comes out of that guy's mouth in the um as played by James Franco in the movie is hilarious um yeah, and yeah. a lot of it comes from real life you know uh, and they even have the shooting of the scenes too that made it into the film mm-hmm. um yeah and he and it kind of works and he's redeemed in some weird way by claiming that he meant it to be make the worst movie in the world you know um mm-hmm. you know he's indestructible that way I meant it to be funny <laughs> you
0: know. <clears throat> so, I, I, yeah, and so then, and I, I'm not even sure how to really talk about this, but you and I began writing the script together, mm-hmm. and maybe this will be interesting to people. Uh, you and I have never met in person. <laughs> we've never been in this, They've never been in the same room. This is the longest we've looked at each other. This is the longest yeah. we've looked at each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're 3,000 miles away from each other, and we somehow managed to write a script together.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind I, look, of, I consider it
0: like early pavement. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, so I, I, the process to me was, I thought it in and of itself is kind of interesting because we would both write and then send each other stuff and, and have these long conversations over the phone, sort of what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, it's been fun. I've never, I've done that once before. I had, I had another writing partner who also lives in Massachusetts. So apparently I work better, uh, nowhere near the person
1: (laughs) maybe yeah he's in the east coast anyway yeah yeah i live in new york but um, yeah
0: but um yeah and then so where we are now is just uh trying to get this thing made and uh yeah i'm interested in like you know like i don't know
1: how regular writing partners work i think i've heard most of them are like the the ones i know about are the ones that um split up scenes Mm-hmm. Uh, they work out they hash out an arc together or like a you know the blocks of the story characters um maybe one person just you know, goes at like uh trying to define one or develop one and another person you know develops others or and they talk about like uh you know breaking the story mm-hmm. um and then they divvy up the scenes that they you know each person seems to have uh place of their strengths or or whatever they just do it like uh this needs doing okay, I'll do that that does too yeah um. And uh, I think of like the Coen brothers, actually, they have some kind of really enviable way of doing it. They just sit there and cry, make jokes to each other in a room, yeah. like on a couch, like never getting near anything to write down. Mm-hmm. But it comes together. You know, those are obviously magical um, story engines. Um, but I think, I mean, how else would it work? I mean, if you're working right. Well, so it's already.
0: all different. Um, I've, I've only written one script by myself, which is mm-hmm. something I've, I've just finished. But everything else has been these long distance things. Um, including uh, my digital series, The Horse's Mouth, which I wrote with the, another former spin writer. It's uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, uh, I wonder how many more are out there. Yeah, um, with uh, James Greer, who's a great screenwriter. Great. <clears throat> but 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 Jim's uh, a borderline recluse. So even though he lived uh, a mile away, it might he might as well have been in on the East Coast or Mars or wherever he functions. He didn't go
1: out much, even pre-pandemic, he just kind of
0: stayed at home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a uh yeah a recluse um with uh the other scripts that I wrote the uh, the one which is entitled "A Man about a Horse with mm-hmm. uh, my partner Joe O'Brien, who lives in Massachusetts, that was unique where I would say eighty percent of that was written through text or gmail and now the the script, if you read it is it's a very there's a lot of one-liners it's a it's a lot of jokes, and there's not a lot that happens it's a lot of emojis. Yeah 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 a lot of a lot yeah. of eggplant emojis. Yeah. Um but it it's it's characters it's basically two and then there's a third character and they're almost all in one location one room. And mm-hmm. it's another it's another con artist movie so it's it's one guy trying to get another person to place a bet or to buy a horse at a mm. that's going to race that weekend. But uh, but a lot of it is the script is about these two characters, their lives together. And mm-hmm. that we just kind of, we, we had a structure to it, but so many of the jokes would just come through him and I texting with each other. And then
1: in he, the characters, uh, voices.
0: Yeah. And he, he would write, he wrote more of it than I did. Did but, one of you play handle the dialogue for one character and the other, the other? Well, the, the main characters, I guess, sort of based on me. Mm-hmm. And so I think we handled that equally, but he, but he would send me script pages and I would be laughing. I'd be like, what is this? And he'd be like, you, you said that in a text like two days ago. And so he just plugged mm, it yeah. right in. Or yeah, G- yeah. Ch- I, it really actually, I think came more from G chat. Do you remember that like Gmail?
1: Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but it's easier because you don't have to like use your thumbs you know, on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so I would say most of that script came through that. And then it was just, like I said, he did a bulk of the early writing. And then I would rewrite things. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, and, and I, and I, I think I dealt more with the structure of everything and like trying to find like, okay, what is the actual story here? You yeah, know, yeah. Like, yeah. Sp- like we I would say we found the spine after the flesh of, in a huh. way with us, with us, it was the exact opposite. And I'd never done this before. Cause I think I took, I, th- I think I took the reins earlier. Yeah. Even with developing
1: this, this one where we're talking yeah. about.
0: Yeah. With, yeah. Jonathan, with Jonathan, I, 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 this was the first for me of like, well, I'm going to start writing it. You fleshed I, out
1: stuff fast.
0: Because um, I, I, that's, that's, that's from ahead. 20 years of seeing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would make it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't even want to, like to, cause I, I still think the way that the movie starts is the way that I thought it should start
1: uh-huh.
0: 20 years ago, which is you meeting Jonathan in that New York bar.
1: Yeah. And that's how the piece starts too, with that scene.
0: Yeah. And I just, from the end, int- and so I, I didn't even want to like have the discussion. I was like, I'm just going to start writing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and it's, it's about the
1: right length of time too in, in, you know, in printed, uh, time, you mm-hmm. know, where this, this happens, this happens, this happens before the drop cap, you know, it feels like a pre-lap or something. Yeah. Like a, it feels like a thing before, you know, that you're going to, be dropped into this thing and with a little, a button on it with his line. And then, um, then, and then swooping back or, you know, taking in the whole spectacle of it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, I always thought that I would want to write, um, the funny, the great thing about writing, uh, anything, uh, would be, I thought it would be dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, you know, that's what I spent so many years of just transcribing my own interviews and hearing how people talk. Um, and you find things just listening to the you know, recordings of people's speech. They're so revelatory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I like I listen to my eight-year-old son now, and I I keep having to run and write down um, stuff that he's saying. And not like kids say the darnest things uh, stuff, but just the pacing and the texture of the like. You know what? You know what? You know what? Uh, you know because uh, you know if I if I was a uh, a cannibal, you know what? Guess what? <laughs> I kind of think, like the, <laughs> yeah. These little asides, and then. Um, yeah, like the, a certain thing that just sounds like an eight year old kid, not a seven year old or nine year old, but like a, there's a, it's, it's recognizable on the page. Like any, you know, it's, there's so much truth in that. Um, but I think I remember hearing, it was some pod, podcast, there was an interview that someone did with a, I'm going to say his name wrong, but a sort of legendary writer for The Simpsons, Schwarzfelder. I know, I still got to check that out. I, I, well, yeah, yeah he was talking about, I think it was in The New Yorker where and it was such good advice for writers of any kind of genre or form uh when he was working on um uh yeah an episode he'd make a point in the afternoon to just start writing the episode from top to bottom um mm-hmm. and and with and he knew how long it had to be and it just was crap i mean there'd be in i mean because it's always gonna be yeah uh, and because he, he just realized that he uh hates writing but loves rewriting mm-hmm. and um and so he would just go at like uh, having you know the beginning opening, you know, uh you know credits and uh and then into a, a story It was just filler, like nothing in there. We just have to have somebody say something about this here and mm-hmm. keep going and going and going until um till they get to the end. And then mm-hmm. and then the next morning he'd pick it up again. And the piece that he had of writing that he had was um it was uh you know not good, it was bad, but it was uh it was a script. Yeah. Um, so it's a start. He didn't have to do that anymore. They said, like, I thought about this uh, for years, like, that uh, there's an apocryphal story about Michelangelo where he, um, someone asked him how could he, uh, you know, sculpt the David, um, you know, there's uh, a, and, and there's no way that he said this in real life, but he said, uh, just uh, look at the marble and uh, just take away everything that's not the David. Yeah. Um, which I think maybe in sculpture, something like that occurs. But if you're writing something, you actually have to make the marble, too, you know? Right. And that sucks. Just it sucks. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Just putting it, it. It's hard to be so bad for such a long period of time. It <laughs> takes yeah. take something out of you. And I don't blame that guy for, um, the <laughs> Schwartzman or Felder for, uh, um, wanting to get, just get that over with. And not to get the part that he likes.
0: Yeah. And then this script w- was legitimately the hardest, uh, script I've worked on because of multiple factors. One, the jumping around, from time and, and, and location yes. of like, of like, why are we doing that? Let's not just do it to do it, but like, why, it's you know, the, to ask. yeah, but, but <laughs> yeah. the great, you know, the other great writing lesson is so simple, I think. And now I can't not watch anything without these two words going on in my head, which is therefore, but, which mm. is like a scene starts, you know, uh, God, I'm, I'm going to struggle to come up with an example, but, you Know somebody wants something, therefore they go to this person, but this person mm-hmm. doesn't want to do that, therefore the person then has to circumvent, you know what I mean? And then yeah, it's the that's it's a key
1: to a, key uh, verb or conjunctions or whatever they are, I mean, or prepositions, mm-hmm. um, to a log line, I mean, yeah, uh,
0: you, yeah, you need those built in, uh,
1: yeah, that's, so. It, so, ahead. the thing
0: I kept bucking up against was like, if we're in Los Angeles and Jonathan is you know getting made up with uh dr susan block into the the drag or whatever yeah, what it, yeah so that is he wants to present himself some way what is the next what is the but like the but it doesn't work which is the 20 or two years later detectives have now found this tape you know
1: yeah, yeah. like it didn't like it didn't it in work a very different direction
0: he wanted to present as a. Uh uh glamorous and
1: mysterious I yeah think, that you yeah. said that his uh, favorite song yeah it was madonna's uh, beautiful stranger because it's just uh because <laughs> uh, that's what he felt he was mm-hmm. and um that's not i think the phrase that the um detectives in fairfax um virginia would uh <laughs> right right, right. looking at uh, yeah this stuff and um being in the in a in the mainstream of a public school i mean a private school of uh, you know teenagers
0: right and then the second hardest thing was writing the dialogue for, um, Carrie, his sort of, yes. I, don't say, I don't want to say love interest, but his girlfriend in, in the high school. Yeah. Based on a real, a real person, but, um, yeah, well, I'm grateful not to know really anything about, I did talk to
1: her though, actually. Mm. Uh, I think pretty much illegally interviewed her on the phone. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and she, we didn't speak for very long. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, yeah, she was. She's. I mean, that's. I thought that was one of the biggest uh, turning points in the creation of the screenplay. Was finding what do they? You know, they say what is a protagonist? That's how do you know who the protagonist is? It's the person who changes the most. Yeah. Um, or at all, um, and she's. It's about her. I mean, we we're focusing on because really, Jonathan Taylor Spielberg, the most interesting thing about him, since he's so impenetrable in so many other ways, and um, is his effect on other people yeah Uh, who buys it uh and just goes sees like stars or money or whatever when they see him and it's funny now that i think about it like um him talking to and sort of convincing a maybe kind of lonely um insecure high school freshman or sophomore uh who was kind of on the periphery of different cliques um that she was the most awesome and beautiful and um yeah you know, a fascinating character or person in the whole school that he's ever seen. That's, that's someone you're, who that person is giving someone you, you something you need, you know, yeah. everybody has a different need, um, that makes them more susceptible to, a uh, Jonathan Taylor Spielberg. And one of, one of them's the, um, guy that runs the school, the principal, um, who, uh, wants to elevate the school's stature and make money that, uh, you know, get a cash uh, revenue source. And, um, and other people who don't have anything game for him and don't you know have some need that um, they try to fill with him, uh, ignore him or kind of find him a little creepy. Yeah, uh, she finds she, here's somebody who actually cares. You know, sees her as she wants to be seen. Right. And um, and that is transformative. It's a great, yeah. It's a, it's an incredible part of any coming of age story or just youth story or of any age. Just um, it's so poignant. So painful and sad and i think anybody can relate to it too being um finding someone that seems to realize or like speak to potentials in yourself that you can't see or you never did yeah and, and it, then, gives,
0: it, it gives us sort our of second pygmalion story in this yeah
1: movie. and then when you find out that they're that attention that love you felt from them that um that celebration was uh was just um you know useless was worthless because yeah. of their their liar they're like disgraced Being able to pick yourself up off of that and take what you, I mean, that's a great, I love stories where someone who is really hurt by somebody and betrayed and let down by them, unintentionally turns out to be, to give them what they need to change in some way that they realize their potential. Yeah. Um, Yeah, despite everything, um, this character, uh, the Jonathan Taylor Spielberg in the movie, becomes an agent of change and of growth and, uh, you know, and um realization for her despite every intention he had
0: yeah yeah um, yeah and that's that's the crux there
1: yeah yeah and that i think that's a strong story if there weren't i mean you you needed to make it fresh and make it new and exciting and relevant in some way but it, i mean i don't know i can't i don't know i've read so many dumb books about story and uh or just you know narratology or whatever and uh and i, I know that they're supposedly No one ever talks about any Jungian archetype besides the hero's journey. Right. I mean, but there've got to be about five or six or more. I don't (laughs) Mm -hmm. know. Uh, It's not the monomyth, but um, that feels like an essential. That's. I feel like I'm restating and maybe misstating the essentials of some kind of very major, like classical um, narrative story, you know, the person who's a yeah, freed and released by some you know, tragedy, I guess, or trauma or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, it comes out stronger and also, uh, you know, truly finding them themselves. Yeah.
0: I, I think that's a pretty good spot to sort of leave it on. Yeah. Because we we finally got to, you know, Carrie's part of the story and hopefully, we'll see, we'll see if this works. Um, you know, I'm, writing I, I, Carrie, Carrie's dialogue, I realized like, I may have done a bad job
1: on it i don't know but it wasn't that hard for me because i just thought of myself um, mm. at that age or younger age and what how i'd feel if somebody seemed to be giving me everything i needed then, you know um and how i'd respond and how i might feel like i'm blossoming and how i might be kind of a dick about it to other people that are my friends uh uh who wanted me to stay like sad and alone and um and not uh you know glamorous um yeah. And, uh, and I have nieces that age too and stuff. So I just think about yeah. how they, talk and how they look, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think you have to, anybody writing about uh, writing for, and you have to really kind of love it in some sense, you know, or be Yeah, Totally.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree hundred yeah. percent. Uh, well, cool dude. Yeah. Like I said, hopefully, hopefully this works. Hopefully we manifest this thing to get. Yeah. Get I think we
1: now have to, uh, that was a good t- first take. We should go back to the top. you'll check it out in the editing room and see if you can cut out three quarters of it. And I think you'll have something good, you know? Um,
0: Of this? I think it was all good. Yeah. I I love the way it started.
1: Take out the part where I'm wool gathering about a bunch of different movies. And I don't know. uh, Yeah, there's a lot of.
0: Yeah, um, no, because I'm I'm about to ask you the question I ask everybody, which is movies, which is uh, what's your favorite Scorsese movie? (laughs) That's where we end.
1: I, I mean, I think there are sort of better ones, but they'll never, I'll never have a fonder, um, place in my heart than taxi driver. Mm. Um, another incel. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. The, the great incel. Um, yeah. In fact, we were just near the other day, we were near the, um, uh, the Columbus circle, uh, restaurant where he takes, um, mm-hmm. you know, the place where the, uh, the campaign office is right, right on yeah. the, um, on the circle and, uh, yeah, it's it's opposite of the Trump Tower now. <laughs> yeah, two different eras. Um, yeah, it's it's great. You know who's really knowledgeable about the taxi driver is the that awesome Australian actor uh, Ben Mendelsohn. Oh yeah, yeah he yeah he knows every like he's one he, I think he does. I I heard him talk about it on Fresh Air with uh, Terry Gross, like talking about how much that was what he would do for a long time. is just. Grill, you know, know everything about it. I think it, it was instrumental in helping him speak American accents so well, which he does. Hmm. And and really went deeply into all the relationship of the characters and all the facts and details. And he knew like sort of the deep cut, like Scorsese fiend facts of, um, not just the Scorsese peers behind, behind Travis Pickle in the cab, uh, talking about what a 44 Magnum would do to a person's nether parts, but um, also sitting outside the campaign office he walks and then again somewhere else Mm -hmm. and uh and that was one of his cute clues to uh, or challenges to like anybody who's listening like where can you find the third scorsese uh appearance um Mm. do you happen to know yourself
0: i don't know which yours Um, my my scores um i I think goodfellas Mm -hmm. yeah just that the time and place that age it was like a movie my friends and i every like sleepover we had we we had kind of a stable of movies we would watch and and Goodfellas was one of them.
1: Yeah, it's also endlessly quotable. Um, it's one of the funniest movies ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, but, oh man, but Albert Brooks though, like, uh,
0: is- ah, yeah, he's great. He's so great. Uh, all right, dude. I'm, I'm, gonna to, I'm gonna have to get shovel shovel off here in a minute. And uh, right. but thanks for doing this. It was you know hey, always you. great Good to luck. catch up. And we'll we'll see if this works, and I, I might have the next idea for us to tackle. So I'll oh good yeah yeah right. I'll I'll, te- I'll text you in a few days. Dig it. All right, yeah, buddy. Bye.